The following is a presentation by The Tabernacle, a community of changed lives. For more information regarding service times or if you would like to make a donation to The Tabernacle, you can do so by visiting our website at www.thetabchurch.com. Welcome again to the Tabernacle. My name is John. I'm one of the pastors here. And if you're new or you're visiting for the first time, uh, you're our honored guest. And we're really glad that you're here. If you're not new, you've been here before. We like you too. And just happy Sunday. I don't know. Hi. <laughs> it's great to see you. But uh, uh, here at the Tabernacle, uh, we love the Lord Jesus and we love good music. What would just happened? Was that? Did we? Some of you like that? They need to calm down. I need to calm down, but uh, uh, we're not the church for everybody, but uh, we really like this church, and uh, we really love Jesus, and so if you don't have a church, you're looking for a church, we'd love to be your church, Uh, and if you don't like this church, keep looking, find a church, find one where they preach the gospel and love Jesus right out of his word, so um, we've been in this series, uh, this, uh, uh, this whole study of the book of Romans, Uh, we started about 15 months ago, you made it, this is the last one, right? (laughs) And, and also, I would say, you know, that, that we have such a high view of Scripture and a high view of God's Word that, that that's, that's our MO, is we take a book of the Bible, we map it out, and however long it takes us to get through it, we get through it. That's how we learn the Scripture. I can't be accused of trying to manipulate things. I always know where I'm going the next week, and you have a sense of accomplishment. So if you've been here from the beginning, good job, you're about to end. If you're just joining us, uh, all the sermons are available online, so you can work backwards. So uh, we're right here at the end, and I'm glad it's taken us 15 weeks. And I do want to say this, is, is every time we go through God's word, uh, it isn't like I'm sitting up in some ivory tower going, thus saith the Lord. I'm in here going, wow, he said that? Can you believe it? Right? So I'm experiencing it right with everyone else. It's just I have a really big mouth, Right? <laughs> And so just like the musicians lead us with their gifts, I love to study. And, you know, somebody said to me this week, you get to give a book report every week. And I said, yeah, okay, all right, I'll take that, you know. But it, it's, uh, uh, it's been powerful for me, and I hope it's been powerful for you. And in this last section of Romans, we've been talking about the freedom that comes with Christ. And a lot of people, you know, we hear, you know, we hear that or we say that. That's kind of part of the Christianese ghetto lingo. Free in Christ, free in Christ, free in Christ. And the reason we've, in these last nine or ten weeks, we've been going through free is because what does that really mean to be free in Christ? 
It doesn't mean, what it doesn't mean is free in Christ doesn't mean that, well, you know, God did all the hard work and so now I just do whatever I want to. With freedom comes responsibility. This God, this one true God who sent his son to the earth to show us how to love, to show us how to live, to be our sacrifice, to be the atonement, to appease the wrath of God because of our sin, right? What does that freedom look like? And because he's done that for us, now I have a responsibility to him. We're free to love. We're free to forgive. We're free to accept one another. And so here, right at the very end, there's more freedom that Paul talks about in his last comments to us. If you have a Bible, if you turn to the last chapter of Romans, chapter 16, we're going to start in verse 17. And there's only uh, uh, nine or ten verses here for us to read, uh, but they're very important for us. What does this freedom look like here at the end? Verse 17 of Romans chapter 16. He says, and now I make one more appeal, my dear brothers and sisters. Watch out for people who cause divisions and upset people's faith by teaching things contrary to what you have been taught. Stay away from them. Such people are not serving Christ our Lord. They're serving their own personal interests. By smooth talk and glowing words, they deceive innocent people. But everyone knows that you are obedient to the Lord. This makes me very happy. I want you to be wise in doing right and to stay innocent of any wrong. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. May the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, sends you his greetings, as do Lucius, Jason, and, oh, here we go, um, Sosipater, good effort, uh, my fellow Jews. Verse 22, I, Tertius, the one writing this letter for Paul, send my greetings too as one of the Lord's followers. Gaius says hello to you. He is my host and also serves as host to the whole church. Erastus, the city treasurer, sends you his greetings, and so does our brother Cordus. Now all glory to God, who is able to make you strong, just as my good news says. This message about Jesus Christ has revealed his plan for you Gentiles, a plan kept secret from the beginning of time. But now as the prophets foretold and as the eternal God has commanded, this message is made known to all Gentiles everywhere so that they too might believe and obey him. All glory to the only wise God through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. So that's how Paul ends this greatest letter ever written, this really complete picture of the good news of the gospel. It's got doctrine, it's got history, it's got everything we need. And I believe that the theme of those verses are that we are free to unite. He's talking to the Gentile church in Rome. And there's a lot of different cultures represented in Rome. We said last week it's the center of the known universe at the time. All roads led to Rome. And so there's a lot of different kinds of people. Just like up here, there's a lot of different kinds of people. There's probably close to a thousand people that call the tabernacle their church home. Do you know that? 
So on any given weekend, we have around 800 that'll come through these doors. But when, you know, if we all come at once, because we all have busy lives and we choose the weekends and we want to come, etc., etc. If everyone came, there's almost a thousand crazy barbarian North Gentiles from the land of misfit toys that worship here together. Just like in Rome, you've got all these different nationalities and languages and backgrounds. And just here at our church, you know, we have different denominational backgrounds, right? Some are conservative. Some maybe came from a Catholic background. Some of you are like, what's a denomination? And you're awesome. Just stay a blank slate. You don't have any of that poison, right? So some of us have faith back. Not that that's poison. Some of you are offended that I just said poison, right? Which we're getting to the topic. And we have different tastes in music, and some of us are married, and some are divorced, and some are remarried, and some are divorced again. Some are never going to get married. Some would never want to be married. Some of you are young, and you're like your kids, and you're like, marriage is gross, right? And so we have all of these different people in, in, in different races and different backgrounds. Some are transplant. Some are, you know, Buckley, Michigan, OG. You know what I mean? When you get all these people together there might be the possibility of just a little bit of conflict. No, you don't think so? There might be. Some of you still haven't got over the fact that there was a salute to ACDC in the pre-service. Some of you don't know who ACDC is. Some of you wanted to get out your lighter and go, while some other people's, why does he have a lighter, you know? There's a possibility of some conflict. And Paul sees, you know, just like in Romans, there's a possibility of some conflict. And and he starts out by giving us this last appeal. Now, before we get there, I need to point something out to you, though. Is I don't know if you've read this passage. Some of you I know have been reading ahead. Some of you have been studying diligently, so you always knew what was coming. Did you notice there's no verse 24? How many saw there was no verse 24 in what I read? Ah, a couple of you noticed. The rest of you think I only work one day a week? That's why I get the big bucks, yo. There's no verse 24 in the New Living Translation, in the ESV, in the NIV, in the TNIV. Most of the newer translations do not have a verse 24. It goes from verse 23 to verse 25. Wait a minute, I thought there's no wasted words in Scripture. Is that a mistake? Is that an error? What am I going to tell my atheist friends who don't believe the Bible? I'm glad you asked. Because if you're reading a King James, or if you're reading an NASB, you'd see there is a verse 24. So here's just a little quick thing. I'll just geek out with me for a minute. I'm going to give you a little bit of ammo that you can take when, you know, at Christmas or somebody, you have a, you know, a friend or a family member, you know, at dinner that's like, I don't believe the Bible is full of errors. Well, you need to know this. The Bible, Old Testament and New, was written over 4,000 years by almost 30 different authors, and none of it contradicts itself. That in and of itself is a miracle. The New Testament is about 2,000 years old since the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We believe that the New Testament is inerrant. It doesn't mean that there may not be a typo. It doesn't mean that human beings suddenly, because they were working with these, you know, this leather and this paper, that there weren't maybe some transcription mistakes. But we believe that the meaning and that the truth of God's word is inerrant in its original form. How much original form do we have? We have 5,000 manuscripts in Greek from the first 100 years after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. That's staggering. We have more proof that Jesus walked the earth than George Washington was the father of our country. 
or that Plato even existed, right? Or that anything Josephus, that ancient historian, said was true because we have 5,000 Greek texts within the first 100 years. If you add all the other languages that translate the New Testament, it's over 25,000 within the first 100 years. But get this. Some of them are dated earlier. Some of them are dated later. So you might have one from the year, you know, 85 AD and another one's 125 AD. So here's a little juicy tidbit for you. When they first translated the holy and perfect King James, they had a verse 24. Hey, I'm not cracking the King James. I memorized the King. I mean, that's what I learned as a little kid was the King James. The problem is, is some of us have made King James our king instead of King Jesus. And then you find out that the earliest manuscripts didn't have what they call verse 24. Uh Uh-oh, the King James kingdom begins to fall. So there was a mistake? Yeah. And so the translators of the New Living Translation, the ESV, the NIV, they said, you know what? Just to be safe, we're not going to put verse 24 in there. Because it wasn't in the most, or the earliest translation. And so just to make sure that that wasn't there, we just won't put it in there. Now are you ready? I'm going to tell you what this highly controversial mistake is. Because you need to know. Because it's highly controversial and divisive. Verse 24 says, in other translations... The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. (laughs) The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. It doesn't change anything about doctrine, does it? There's about 20 discrepancies in God's word that honest scholars argue about whether or not they were all in there. And they're all just like that. They don't change any of the meaning of the gospel. They don't change that we believe that there's one God. It doesn't change that we believe he eternally exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, not three gods, one person. Or Sorry, three persons, one essence. It doesn't change the fact that we believe that God's one and only Son came to earth to show us what love is, to die on a cross, that if we believe in him by faith, that God's grace will extend and save us, forgive us of our sins of the past, will sanctify us in the present, and will glorify us in the future. It doesn't change any of the meaning. Are you with me? So that's where verse 24 went. But it also points to something. It's a ready-made landmine right in this passage. There are some churches that want to fight about verse 24. There are some churches, there are some Christians that want to fight about King James versus NIV. Oh my goodness, you own a message? And like I said, some of you are like, what's that book? Don't worry about it. So if we get to the meat of what Paul says in here, Paul points out in this last word a disease that we Christians have. And it's a natural disease and it comes whenever you get people from different backgrounds. You get us together in a room and we're going to have different tastes. He calls them divisions. And Paul says, watch out for divisions. Watch out for dividers. You're free to unite. One of the reasons Christ set us free, and it's interesting... Paul's last words, one more thing I tell you, I appeal to you to watch out for divisions and those who divide us, right? Jesus' last words, John chapter 17, God, I pray that they would be one. Because both Christ and his follower Paul knew something about human nature. 
that if we can find something to divide us, we will. We'll divide about music. Like I said, some of us can't get over the preamble today. But then you loved when we sang, Oh, Holy Night. Can we do it again? Right? And so you're all conflicted. Love, hate, love, hate, love, hate. What do I do? Right? Some of you, uh, are, you know, some of us, we come here and, and, and there's p- p- some of the decoration we love, some of the decoration we hate. Why isn't there a Christmas tree in the sanctuary? Why would you ever put a Christmas tree in the sanctuary, right? Some of us are like, why is, why is communion sometimes cran grape? It should be pure grape. And some other people are like, it should be real wine. And some other people are like, are you kidding? I have all this sobriety. Why would you take my sobriety away? Some of you really, really want a pastor who wears a tie every week. It's never going to happen. We all have our little thing. And, and, and the thing is, is, is Paul says, watch out for people that take these differences and turn them into divisions. And he actually warns us in two ways. He says there's really two things, that, at least that I can tell from my study, two things that God's people, the church, that we love to divide over. The first one is pretty important. And that's the rocks. He says, watch out for those who upset people's faith by teaching things contrary to what you've been taught. Here at the tabernacle, we teach that when it comes to doctrine, when it comes to theology, when it comes to God's word, there are big rocks that are really, really big and important. That's why they're called big rocks. (laughs) And then there's small rocks that are important to you, but they may be up for discussion. And so if you've been through Merge or if you've been around our church for a minute, you've heard us say this, but there's always new people, so it bears repeating. There's really, really big rocks that we will fight about, and they're non-negotiable. That there is one God, that His Son is Jesus, that He's the only way to salvation, that He really died on a cross. He didn't faint, He didn't swoon, He didn't go into a coma, He really died, and then He defeated Satan's sin and death by coming back from the death. Bodily, not in a spirit, not in a good idea. And that he is the only way. And if you come in here saying, well, it could be Muhammad, it could be Buddha, it could be Gandhi, it could be Donald Trump, it could be Hillary or Billary, right? We're going to fight about that. One way, Jesus is the only way. Do you agree that that's a big rock? Okay, so there's a big rock. That there's one God, that's a big rock. That God is love, that's a big rock. That essentially what we're about is change lives, loving God, loving people, making disciples. Those are all big rocks. That God's word is inerrant. Not that it's a good suggestion. Oh, you know, take some of it, leave some of it. No, big rock. You don't believe this is a big rock. How do you live? And we'll fight about that. But then there's also small rocks, right? One of them is baptism. Jesus said, go and make disciples and baptize them. And then some people are like, do I have to? Should I? What about the thief on the cross? He didn't get baptized. Is he in heaven? And then some of us are like, well, I was dunked. I went all the way under. And I was dunked all the way under in Michigan, pure Michigan, clean water. And then someone else goes, was it a river? Because the Jordan River was moving water. And that's better than gitchigumi water. And then some other, well, I was dipped in the ocean. Well, you can't be dipped in the ocean. It's salty. And it should be pure. And some other people are like, yeah, but Michigan water, you could die of hypothermia if they hold you down too long. (laughs) I like salt water. It purifies things. Some other people were sprinkled. Some other people baptized with super soakers. I don't know. (laughs) So we agree that baptism is the big rock, yes? yes? Mode, not so much. Not so much. We dunk people because it's easy and it's weird. And... That's a smaller rock. We're not going to argue about that. 
But there's other smaller rocks. Now, smaller rocks are important. They're important, but they're not worth dividing about. Smoke, don't smoke. Drink, don't drink. Rated R, PG-13. Cards, no cards. Dance, chew, run with girls that do. I don't know. We argue about small rocks. And that's when it gets ugly. That's when the conflict arises. Because what happens, what Christians love to do is they love to take their favorite small rock and turn it into a pet rock, grow it into a big rock, and it doesn't deserve to be a big rock, and then they want to throw it at you, don't they? These people, listen, they're dividers. They're dividers. When we take the unimportant things and make them the most important things. And you guys, it happens in churches all the time. It could happen in our church. Our church is a moving church and it's a fast-growing church. And, and we know that not every decision is going to please everybody. And now we're trying to follow God and we're going to plan another campus, one church, two locations at Manistee. And some of us are not having it. And some of us are having it. And some of us, this is the first you've heard about it. But the dividers, they want to come around and upset people's faith. We've lost our vision. We've lost this. We've lost that. What? What are you talking about? We're more ambitious than ever. Yeah, but I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. So I just thought as an illustration, I would stay on safe ground. I wouldn't talk about any of the real issues that might divide us. Instead, I thought we'd talk about toilet paper. <laughs> now think about this. Toilet paper is something that impacts all of us, does it not? Stay with me. There are bathrooms in the church, are there not? I know some of you right now are like, he's talking about toilet paper. Honey, we're leaving, right? (laughs) Let's stay united just for a second. We have bathrooms, and in those bathrooms we have toilet paper. Sometimes the toilet paper rolls from under, doesn't it? Sometimes the toilet paper rolls from over the top. You think this is important? Oh, this is important. Watch this. How many of you are over-the-top people? You want to see where that line is. I want the toilet paper coming over the top. Put your hands up. Sweet. How many of you are like, no, we got to be good students? It comes from the bottom. That's where it comes from. Sweet. Now watch this. There's another group of you that didn't raise your hand, which means I'm not shaking hands in church anymore because you're disgusting. Apparently, you're not using toilet paper. So we got the -the over-the-top crowd. We've got the -the underneath crowd. Some of us, this is true, some of us might go to the restroom at the church and go, this is pretty chintzy toilet paper. Where's all my tithe money going? Whoa. And then some of the other ones of us are like, whoa, this is a little fancy. Are we being good stewards? Are they ever going to pay off T2? They're probably not. They should read some Dave Ramsey and get cheaper toilet paper. (laughs) Now, I wish I could just say we're being silly, but I've looked it up on the old interweb, and there are churches that have had conflict and had to put on their board agenda the toilet paper usement purchasing and over or under in a board meeting. You get the point, right? Most of us are sitting here going, that's stupid. Now, there's one or two of us who are like, no, I'm telling you, if they go from the bottom, I'm out. <laughs> We're free to unite. What's the big rock there that we have? Toilet paper is a good idea. Can we agree? 
under, over, you need the three-ply Charmin, two squares a team, I don't know. Divisions are a disease. We're having conflict over that. We've lost sight. And Paul says to us, he goes, whenever we're taught something different, that's a problem. And he says, such people are not serving Christ. They're serving their own personal interests. So when my selfish personal interest is I want to fight about under or over, we've already lost the game. And I use something small because the same thing happens with big stuff. Oh, you were dunked? Well, that's just, that's the deal. You don't read King James? I think he put King James down. I'm out. I'm sorry. Bible translation is a small rock. And if it's a big rock for you, this is not your church. This is not because you want to take that big King James rock or the big ESV rock or the big message rock or whatever translation and you want to hit somebody with it. And Paul says right here, people who cause divisions and upset people's faith, he says they're not serving Christ, they're serving their own personal interest. You know what causes conflicts? When we get the rocks wrong, bad teaching and selfishness. Selfishness comes from pride. Pride is the root of all sin. Pride got Satan kicked out of heaven. You can't be unified with a proud person unless it's only their way. And why is this important? It's not just important for church. This is important for marriage. This is important for friendship. This is important for a business to work together or a staff to work together. Any human relationship, if you can't agree on the rocks or you're going to put your own personal interest, your own selfishness above everyone else, you can't have unity. And Paul points that out for us. He goes, watch out for people that try to distract us. And, and they do. I mean, they do with the rocks all the time, the people that are telling you exactly when Jesus is coming back, even though Jesus himself said, even I don't know when I'm coming back. Nobody knows, only the Father knows. But this guy in a tent down in Mesic, he knows. He knows now. Right? Because he looked it up on the internet. Or, you know, the people that want to come in and, you know, they want to talk about all their conspiracy theories. And I don't want to name them because the conspiracy theorists are among us. And they're going to get sad. Right? And it's like we get bored of the... I mean, you know what? It's hard enough to love God and love people and follow Jesus. How do you have time, you know, to count the, 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 the words in the Bible and come up with the very middle word in all of Scripture? You know that guy's out there too, right? You can find his website. And you know what that word is? I don't even know. It's probably the. <laughs> the middle of the universe is the. And then he tells you T-H-E. And then he's got something that they all say. You know, it's like, oh, for real? I got enough just trying to love God, love people, and follow Jesus. Don't upset this. And we do that all the time. We take our little pet theologies or we take our little selfish interests and we divide Now, here's the deal. Unity is not uniformity. Unity is not uniformity. We don't all have to be the same. In fact, I don't believe that is true unity. I was talking to Pastor Tim about this. You know, if we all thought the same way, if we all voted the same way, if we all had the same stances on every wisdom issue and how to spend your money and how to raise your kids and Bible translation and exactly how the end times play out, you know what? We wouldn't be a church. We'd be a cult. Our strength is our diversity and our unity in spite of it. 
That's the real strength. So unity is not uniformity. It's not everybody saying the same thing. That's because somebody drank the Kool-Aid. Division is a disease. And when our conflicts turn into condemnation. Now, let me just say one thing right here. Critics are helpful or can be. At our church, we try to learn from our critics, and we've got them. We try to learn from our critics. You know, like one of the policies that that Pastor Tim and I put in place a long time ago is every sermon is critiqued. Every sermon is critiqued. My choice. It's hard enough to, you know, they they say uh, preaching is like dying naked alone on stage, right? But then to go to a group of guys and say, okay, hey, How could that be better? What did I say wrong? I want to get it right because we have two more shots at this. Let's get it right. Or we don't want to do that next Sunday. We don't want to to offend or we don't want to hurt, but we do want to be true to the gospel. Every sermon is critiqued. Every service is critiqued. Every ministry event is critiqued. There are staff reviews. Critiques are good, but critics and critiques that are helpful. Listen, this might help you today. It's different from having a critical spirit. A critical spirit, this person, they're never satisfied. It's never good enough. And it's not just, you know, oh, this person, you know, is positive and this person is negative, right? It's, no, the critical spirit person, they could win the, you know, a hundred million dollars, right? Here's a hundred million dollars. And within five minutes of the excitement, it'd be, you know what? I'm going to have to give most of this to taxes. This sucks. Punch that person in the face. No, don't. I mean, but, that, but that's a critical spirit. They can never see the good. And, and you guys, this is huge because some of you stopped seeing the good in your spouse years ago. Or your children, or your family, or your parents, or your church. And there's always something to criticize so we can have a conflict Because it makes you feel warm inside and it feeds something. And then the conflict turns into bitterness, into resentment, and then condemnation. That's division. Paul says, stay away from those people. They upset people's faith. But we're free to unite. You know, I'm thankful for these verses at the end because he points out that that there's a cure for the disease of division and and it's Jesus. Jesus is the cure. I mean, how many times do we see his name here? He says, everyone knows you're obedient to the Lord. Not obedient to Paul, not obedient to the church, you're obedient to the Lord. Verse 20 says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. He says, may the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Not my grace, not my wisdom, not my teaching. He goes, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. He's pointing them back to Jesus. He warns them, watch out for divisions and dividers. Look to Jesus, his grace, his victory. Hope in him, obey him, serve him. In verse 25, he says, all glory to God. He says, this message is about Jesus Christ. In the very last verse, all glory to the only wise God through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. He's pointing us to Jesus. Division is the disease. Raising your gaze and looking to Jesus is the cure. Even, even, even the little stenographer, Tertius, verse 22. I, Tertius, he wants to get on the act, right? 
I, Tertius, the one writing this letter for Paul, so he's the secretary, he's got an education, and he's writing stuff down, and he goes, I send my greetings to, and then he adds this, inspired by the Holy Spirit, as one of the Lord's followers. He doesn't say as one of Paul's disciples. Hey, as, hey, as Paul's you know, chief executive, I want to say hi too. As one of the Lord's followers, I want to say hi too. Everything about the last part is look to Jesus, point to Jesus. And I believe it's because he's the cure for the disease of division. My wife and I have been married almost 26 years. And I'd like to think that she has stayed with me because of my smashing good looks and my incredible personality. But unfortunately, you're married to someone for 25 you know, minutes and you get to know <laughs> their faults, right? It's because of Jesus. Because a long time ago, my wife raised her gaze and looked to Jesus and is committed to me because of Jesus. And the same thing for me, I'm committed to her because of Jesus. And I'm not saying that if your marriage fell apart, it's like, what's he saying? Get, no, get over yourself for a minute. I firmly believe if you have two people that are consistently both looking to Jesus, wow, that marriage is almost bulletproof. It's a key to unity. And isn't it interesting that he's pointing to Jesus because Jesus is the biggest rock of teaching. We don't need all the numerology. We don't need all of the, you know, the little prophecy conferences and the tongues or no tongues, Arminian or Calvinian. And, you know, I, I love to geek out on all that stuff too. But you know, at the end of the day, the biggest rock is Jesus. You want to get into heaven, you know, and you're laying underneath the car in your last breath and you're about to die and you're not a Christian today, cry out to Jesus and I'll see you in heaven. But I don't know the theology, I didn't memorize a verse, I've been a bad person. If you're with your dying breath, you're uttering his name and it's not in vain. That's the biggest rock. That's the thing we unite about. That's the person we unite around. You don't unite, or we don't unite around a doctrine. I mean, yeah, we want to agree on what the big rocks are. But if the doctrine's not about Jesus, it's not worth following anyways. We don't even really unite around a church. I mean, this church is great. I love this church. I'm giving my life to this church. But if when this church is no longer about Jesus, I don't want to be here. We don't unite around a music style. It's a dumb thing to unite around. But if the music is about Jesus, I can unite around that. We don't unite around, you know, a certain set of stewardship principles. No, we unite around a mission. And if the mission's about Jesus, that's what we do. Jesus is the biggest rock, but Jesus is also the perfect example of both humility and love. It's about humility and love. In fact, I'll I'll go this far. You can't have unity without humility, and you can't have unity without love. And humility and love go together. Jesus was the most perfectly humble and loving person who ever existed. He came to earth to show us what humility and love looks like. The problem is we're proud and we're hateful instead of humble and loving. If you want to be unified in a friendship, in a relationship, on a staff, at a job, on a team, at a school, at a church, if you want to be unified, you need humility and you need love. Got to have those two. Otherwise, it's false. That'll get you past disagreement. You know, one of the best examples of humility and love and unity that I see consistently at our church is your leadership, the church board. These men and women elected by you to to keep our 
church on mission, accountable financially to keep me on mission, to encourage me and also keep me accountable, right? Consistently, I watch this board display humility and love and therefore unity. And some people that aren't in a board meeting, never been to a board meeting, they love to say things like, well, they just probably do everything John says. <laughs> wow. You don't get it. You're one of those rock-throwing critical spirits, right? Don't know. Not even a clue. Because you've got all these different men and women with different perspectives. But one thing they're committed to in humility and love, even when they disagree, and there have been disagreements, you can't build a building and go through a building campaign without some serious disagreements. But they are committed to one thing, is when they walk out of the room, there's unity, and you hear one message. Not to try to save anybody, but it's because they're humble and they're loving and they want to be like Jesus. Just this last week, we're talking about finances. And they're bringing some of the concerns of the congregation. Some people are really on board about going to Manistee and they're really excited. We just took a $64,000 offering. But then some other people are like, wow, do people even use the build offering uh, 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 little envelopes anymore? Are we paying off the debt? Some people are, oh, they're not going to give anymore because we're going to Manistee. And that must mean that we don't care about paying off T2. Poor stewardship, mission, and it's, it's a lively discussion, and it was healthy, and it was good. Do you know what your board decided? Your board decided, how dare we not obey God and follow the mission? Debt-free is not the goal. The mission is the goal. And then they went on to say, we believe God is big enough. If we continue to give to God generously with our tithes and offerings... He's big enough to both pay down the debt of T2 and plant a campus in Manistee. And we walked out in agreement. And there was disagreement beforehand. That's what unity is. It's not sameness. It's not a cult. It's not lockstep. That only happens with humility and love. In Philippians chapter 2, the scripture puts it this way. It says to us as Christians, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Is there any comfort from his love? Is there any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Are you glad that Jesus was humble and loving? He was the one who prayed to God in that board meeting in the garden. If there's any other way to do this. But humbly and lovingly said, not my will, Father, but your will be done. And then he went to the cross for me. And if you believe it, he went to the cross for you. Humility and love. And we're free to unite. We're free to unite. It's fitting today that we celebrate communion together. Communion was that. I mean, even the word commune, it comes from community. And Jesus ordained that we together would remember his death, what he did for us. By taking the bread and taking the cup, his body and his blood is a representation. And in that moment, by faith, 
We are communing with God. We are in unity with God. And God's in perfect unity, Father, Son, and Spirit. But we're also, when we take communion, in perfect unity with one another. Because we're uniting past divisions around the one and only important thing worth really fighting about. And that's Jesus. So he said, as often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. So this is what I'm going to ask you to do. If you would bow your heads with me today. And, and I got some specific instructions because this is a holy sacrament. And I, you know, we always have new people and I want everybody to understand what's about to go down. Because I understand there's some of us here today that may not be Christians. And so I would just say that if, that if you're not a Christian and you don't want to become one today, that this isn't for you. And we just ask you to respectfully sit this one out No one's going to look at you different. Maybe you're not ready. Sometimes other people don't want to take communion for some other reasons. But this is for people who have received God's grace by faith. Who've chosen to believe in Jesus' sacrifice and receive the forgiveness and redemption from sin. Or maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian and you'd like to become one. You've been coming for a while. People have shared with you and you're just sitting here thinking... Well, how do I become a Christian? Well, there's no more beautiful way that I could think of than than if that's truly the desire of your heart, then I would invite you today to get in line and to come up and to receive communion. It's It's not the way we're saved. But if by faith that's you, just say a quick prayer. God, come into my life. God, forgive me for being a sinner. I want to be your child. Whatever these people, God, I want it. Put it in your own words. And then by faith, receive the sacrament. Receive his body. Receive the cup. And for those of us that are Christians, most of us know that and even now are beginning to prepare our hearts. Scripture says that we should confess any known sin in our life, that, that, that we should pray through that before we receive communion. And I would just say also, maybe today you would also think about your relationships, your relationship to your church, your relationship to your loved ones, to your friends, to your staff, to whoever else is in your life. Are there divisions? Are there divisions for which Jesus could be the cure, his love, his humility, his selflessness? Or is it really going to remain all about you and all about what they did? So maybe today, if you're a Christian, maybe there's some sin to confess or a way of living to repent of. Maybe you've been that critical spirit person. And you've moved past becoming useful in your critiques and now you just tear stuff down because you're never happy. That'd be something to talk to God about before you take communion today. God, I thank you that you set us free through your son to be united as one. God, I pray that we would be the answer to Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17 when he prayed that we would be one. God, we know we're not the only church and we're not the church for everyone. But God, we're on a mission. We know we can only accomplish that mission that you've called us to. If even beyond disagreement and diversity, if we could just unite in love and humility. Wow. I believe you will crush Satan under our feet. Thank you, God of peace, for promising that. And it's in your son's name, Jesus, we pray. Take the time you need, but when you're ready, we invite you to come.